This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It isn't Monday, it's Tuesday, the 7th of June. We're back after a three-day weekend. I'm Shazana Mokdar in studio with someone else who's back after a three-week break, Wong Xiaoning. Yes, I'm back in one piece. <laughs> Did you guys miss me? Did anyone even notice that I was away? Absolutely. Your absence was deeply felt. It's always lovely to have you back and I hope you had a good holiday. I did, I did. It's always good um, to kind of get out of the country. I have to say we all have cabin fever, right? We COVID had really restricted our ability to travel so I took the risk. I got on the plane. I was a little bit nervous but all good so far it was nice to visit another country not to say that chuti chuti in malaysia isn't great either i mean as long as you're taking a holiday i think that's what everybody needs was it similar to pre-pandemic experiences and traveling were there a lot of differences or are things kind of getting back to the way that we once knew i think almost there especially because i went to europe and i went to uk and can tell you nobody puts on masks there uh-huh. only asians uh and some elderly people. Otherwise, everybody was not wearing a mask. And and there were crowds, hordes of people. And the first time I saw a massive crowd, I had the heebie-jeebies. I was like, oh no, I'm not used to this. What do I do? (laughs) I kept my mask on because I I wanted to stay safe. I wanted to come back um, not getting sick. But I think we're pretty much there. And you can see in the mood of people, they're just happy to be out. Mm. Out and about, eating in restaurants, going to see plays, going to museums, doing shopping. And that's good news for everybody, right, in terms of an economy. And what was interesting in I saw in Europe and UK were a lot of signs asking people whether they wanted jobs. Ah, okay. So there is a manpower shortage and it's global. Now, the other bad news is that everything has gone up in price. Incredibly soon. So, food cost is expensive, shopping is expensive, transportation is expensive. This is the new world that we're living in. Absolutely. And we are exploring those themes always on the show. We do have a lot of interesting conversations uh, lined up for you this morning. Beginning at 7.15, the government announced the scrapping of the PT3 exam for Form 3 students beginning this year. We're going to discuss the implications with education specialist Nina Adlan-Disney of LeapEd. Yeah, and at 7.30, we're going to be taking a look at some of what were the COVID-19 winners, uh, work-from-home winners, which aren't winners anymore, and that's Netflix because the shares have taken a beating after its last quarterly earnings. So we're going to have a conversation with Geeta Raganathan of the Bloomberg Intelligence as to whether, hey, is Stranger Things, Stranger Things? That's the Stranger show. Things, that's is right. Is the turnaround <laughs> for them. We'll find out what Geeta thinks. And then we celebrated, or the world celebrated, World Environment Day on Sunday. So on the back of that, later at 7.45, we're going to be taking a look at what's happening with the Shah Alam Community Forest. It is being un- it is being threatened by development there. We're going to hear from conservationist Alicia Teo on why it's vital to preserve the rich ecosystem of this urban forest. We'll have all this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay tuned with us, BFM 89.9. That was Wild Nothing with only Heather. Before that, you heard Fastball out of my head. You're listening to The Morning Run at 6.09 on the 7th of June, a Tuesday, because yesterday, Monday, was a public holiday. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio with Wong Xiaoning, who is back after a very long hiatus. Not long enough. <laughs> it's never long enough, right? But rejuvenated and glowing in the studio. I can tell you there's jet lag. <laughs> For sure. I 
I got up at a weird, I mean, we get up daily on a, you know, at weird hours, but this is a new record of weirdness. Well, welcome back to Settling In. Uh, and we are going to talk about um, selves today. <laughs> so in this age of being woke and open, you may hear businesses touting that they welcome their employees' whole self or authentic self to the workplace. I'm already guilty of it because of my jet lag. <laughs> I didn't bring my whole self into the office. I think I might have left half of my brain at home. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea is that workers who feel comfortable at the office will perform better. So they're saying, you know, you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. In the office, we want you just as you are. Supposedly. But I guess the question that we're asking this morning is how genuine do you think that kind of rhetoric actually is? And is it realistic to expect that people are truly themselves in the office environment? And this is what uh, an article in The Economist's Bar- Bartleby column explores, Bar- Bartleby being the favorite column of Philip C., as we know. I like the obituaries. That's how morbid I am. <laughs> Obituaries for shouting, Bartleby for Philip. But yes, do you think that bringing your whole self to work is, is I don't know, is, is that the way to go? Is that the best thing to do? Okay, I'm going to give the politician answer. Yes, and maybe no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really, really depends on a few things. One is, who do you work for? Secondly, what is the office culture all about? Uh, I think those two play a great role in determining how much of yourself should you bring into office, whether it's 100%, 90%, 80%, 70%. You know, I I think you you do always bring a bit of yourself into the office. Otherwise, what, what are you, robot? You know, you have to bring in your personality, your thoughts. Uh, your ideas into the workplace. Just how much of it is really reflective of the true you? And I think that really varies from place to place and the culture is really important. So I would say in my previous organisations, probably less so, I wasn't so encouraged. But here at BFM, I think we tend to bring a lot of it in. And radio is all about personality, isn't it? Who we are on air. It's a little bit real. Of course, sometimes it's also... Not so real, a little bit of both, but definitely I think more. And I also I find that here we encourage it because I want to know, uh, as my I want to know what our colleagues are thinking, right? So if their mood isn't great, why aren't they as creative? Why aren't they, you know, uh, outgoing? I want to know why, and I think that matters too because then I can adjust my approach to them rather than make these guesses in the dark, which helps no one in the end. Right. So in a way, managers um, benefit from encouraging their employees to be themselves in really getting to know what makes their employees tick. So there's a little bit of that psychology involved. But you also have to be a company that won't judge people too much and won't hold it against them. Because Mm. if you don't have that environment of trust, whereby you tell, you say one thing, yeah, yeah, we want you to be open. We want you to tell us everything about what's going on. And then we hold that against you later on. What kind of employer are you then? You're not being honest to the person either. And in the end, nobody's going to benefit from this so-called fake open policy. That's I think right. that it has to go both ways, right? That is perfectly, I, 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 that I totally agree with that. And that's something that this article points out as well. The fact that when you choose a job, you might want to choose a job that really does align with your values and your principles because that mm. in a way will make it easier for you to bring your authentic self to the company. And to your point about companies being disingenuous, like saying one thing, but than doing another, then yeah, then they shouldn't really say we welcome the whole self. Don't say anything of that sort at all. You yeah. know, just say we want you to do your job. That's Be all. a robot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. But then the company, I mean, the employer also employee also has to have some measure of uh, a reality check. Okay, because yes, offices, office, the office environment is here 
to extract maximum value from you, right? Because everybody's looking for a maximizing shareholder value. It's not a charity, at least for many people where they work. So you have to do what you have to do. You have to contribute what you're paid for. But there are, of course, going to be moments where, you know, you have a bit of a downtime. You're, you're not feeling yourself. Tell your boss about it. And then you have to also be responsible and say, okay, I'm feeling like this, but, you know, I realize this is going to take an impact on the team. And I, I, I see that I will step up later on. Can you give me a bit of a, a space? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the two-way conversation is important. Right. And when you feel comfortable to actually say that to your boss, then you know that you're in a good working environment in the sense that there is that balance and there is that understanding there because you feel comfortable showing your whole self. Yeah, but it's true in this article, please, you know, don't like start changing socks in the office. (laughs) Did they give some funny examples, right? But actually at BFM, I have seen people change socks, so you never know. (laughs) Tell us what you think. Does your office encourage you to bring your whole self to the workplace? What does being authentic in the office mean? Uh, You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio with your thoughts. 6.14 in the morning, we're heading into some messages and when we come back, we'll discuss whether three-day weekends should become the norm. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Travis with Why Does It Always Rain On Me? Hopefully it's not going to rain today. I have not checked the weather forecast, but uh, hopefully it's sunny skies. Oh yes, for now it is sunny skies. Well, actually there's 80% chance of rain today. So bring that umbrella. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning. Um, we are coming back to the office after a three-day work week. Well, for me, three days. For Xiaoning, three weeks. Uh, but you know, it's <laughs> it always... It wasn't long enough. It's always a treat to get that extra weekend. Uh, yesterday was, of course, a public holiday. And there's actually a pilot study in the UK involving 70 companies that's trialing a four-day work week, so three-day weekend. Um, and they're doing that for no less wages. So they're being paid the same, but uh, they're going to try working for a shorter week and see if that actually works, if that has productivity gains. This trial is going to run for six months. So yeah. I'm, can, where do we sign up? <laughs> can, can we sign up? Where? Where? Where's the form? Let me know. What? Where's the email? Uh, is there a website? Let's try this. Because this uh, trial is happening not only in the UK. Apparently, it's happening in Ireland, the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Ah, okay. Notice they're all developed countries. They mm. are. They are, I suppose. And um, it's interesting that uh, they are working with a range of companies. So, for example, the one in the UK is uh, involving companies uh, such as software developers, companies, recruitment firms, you've got charities and a local fish and chip shop apparently. So you can see that there's quite a wide Mm. range from different industries, different pay scales as well, different job scope. Because when you think about it, if you shorten the work week, uh, but still want to stay as productive, what is that going to look like? Does it mean that those four days you're going to work like crazy and longer hours? So every day is 20% more? It's going to depend. Yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's the concept or that's the mm. that's the principle so for companies like say there was a one company quoted here that uh, package beer for example uh, that might be fairly achievable or that's an easy target to to work towards because they just need to pack more on every of the on the four days right mm. but for something like a software developer how do you quantify what 25 percent more looks yeah. like um you know for the four days versus the five well, um, this article also highlights uh, certain professions where it will be a struggle. So I think they they use doctors as an example because basically people are already struggling getting GP appointments in the UK. So if, let's say, doctors go down to four days a week, what does it mean for patients where wait time uh, for non-essential medical treatment become even longer? 
um, that's a possibility. So, you know, it's nice, the concept of this trial, whether it's going to work is another question. But I, I think at the end of the day, what has really happened is that COVID, pandemic, two years of working from home, has definitely changed the whole nature of work. So one thing is whether you really still need to do the four-day week, uh, the five-day week, excuse me. Whether A, you also then need to be in the office is another question we are asking ourselves. After all, didn't Airbnb, they implemented a new policy? Their boss has decided that you can work from anywhere in the world except for what, 90 days in a year or something? It's ni- You have 90 days of the year to work anywhere in the world. Oh, anywhere in the world. It's the other way <laughs> it's around, the other is way it? Around. So okay. yeah, almost there, almost there. So this has meant that we are really changing the, the, the discussion about the workplace, right? Do you need to be in the office? Can you be completely mobile? Uh, can you be more productive if you actually work less? I think... You know, the answer to all that is a little bit of yes, yes and yes. But just how do you do it? And it's uh, it's a conversation that's taking place in different ways across different companies and industries. I mean, last week we saw how Elon Musk of Tesla ordered all his employees to come back to the office. So Otherwise, you're deemed resigned, right? You have resigned, right? Something so, like that. So he doesn't believe in flexible working, which could be at odds with the wider mainstream thought. Because like you said, mm. Shaoning, the pandemic has given rise to different ways of working. And I think a lot of people are asking, why do we have to go back to the old ways, when the new ways could also yield the same productivity gains. Now, the other thing that I heard on a podcast last evening that really really blew my mind is dress codes. Because they're trying to encourage people to come back to work, right? Or at least take up jobs. So now, apparently, in the US, some firms, even very prestigious law firms, are allowing their staff to come in not just casual, but short schedule. Wow, that is a big step for a law firm, I have to say. Yeah, but of course, the requirement is that if you have to turn up in court, please don't turn up in shorts. You should be an adult to know when you need to wear proper office clothes or what is required for the for the for meeting that client or whatever that day. But otherwise, hey, you can do pretty much what you like because it's all about. Uh, I think companies realizing getting talent is an issue. HR issues are real everywhere in the world. So I think this has forced companies to re-look at the nature of work. Well, tell us what you think. Do you think that a four-day work week would be feasible in your company, in your industry? What other new working arrangements coming out of the pandemic do you think should stick around? Uh, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. It's 6.25 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. And then after that, we're going to take a look at global headlines. Here is Leonard Skinner with Sweet Home Alabama to take you to the bulletin. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. That was Sugar Ray with every morning. And every morning we are here with you every weekday morning, that it's is. Saturday and Sunday. We're the morning run. And a I'm public holiday. Shazana Bokhtar. That was Wong Xiaoning. Uh, it's that time of morning, 6.40am, where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. And I guess we really have to start with the latest uh, political machinations over in the UK because Prime Minister Boris Johnson, uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, just escaped a vote of confidence. I think we should give him a new name. And the new name is Teflon Bojo because nothing, nothing seems to stick. And I would like to remind everybody, this is the first Prime Minister of UK that actually has been convicted of a crime because he was found guilty of having a party at the height of COVID-19. Not just one party, apparently. There were many, many parties, but so far he's only been convicted of one he was, he was fine. You make it sound like it's very sordid, but I mean, yes, it is. I, he did break the law. He yes. broke the law. So, you know, you, know, you break the law, you pay the, you pay the price, but uh, miraculously, he's still 
in 10 Downing Street. So let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of this vote of confidence because it wasn't a parliamentary-wide vote. It was really just within the Conservative MPs. And one thing that I realised that I didn't was just how many MPs there are in the UK. This could be a separate conversation, but they have over 600 MPs Mm. and we are bigger than them and we only have 222. So another conversation perhaps, but yes, this was only with... They don't have constituencies of 200,000 people. Maybe that's why... So yes, yeah, so this was uh, this was taken. This was involving three hundred and fifty nine conservative MPs. So just about half, or a little over half, of Parliament. Uh, Boris Johnson uh, won the confidence of two hundred and eleven MPs versus one hundred and forty eight who said they had no confidence in him. So mm. actually, one hundred and forty eight is a pretty significant number. This is actually more than what um, than those who voted against Theresa May when she had to go for a confidence vote during her time, and she survived that, but only to leave the position six months later. And that's why people are saying Boris Johnson isn't quite in the clear yet. He may have won this confidence vote and actually, according to the rules, they can't hold another confidence vote for another year. So in that sense, he is safe. Uh, But whether he can actually stay in power, I mean, that's still an open question given, as you said, Theresa May resigned of her own volition six months later. And Margaret Thatcher did it after one day of the confidence vote. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with also whether you're an, you know, it's a question of honour Right. Do you think you have sufficient support of all your party members to actually represent the party? But Boris Johnson is a bit of an unusual character, so I'm not surprised he's going to hang on as tightly as he can. After all, there have been a litany of, shall we call it scandals? There was the issue of who paid for the renovations in 10 Downing Street. Was it himself or was it uh, funders? Um, there's also been questions about how how open and honest he's been about many of his declarations, question marks over that, and yet he's still there. So I think his ability to kind of hang in there is probably greater than the average person, average Perhaps. politician, and let's just say the average politician already, in terms of honour, has a different standard than, than some. Perhaps, uh, but it does show that does show turbulence within the Conservative Party, um, and I think it w- for me, I'd be interested to see who'd be coming up in the wings because it's obvious that they do need to have a successor lined up if things go south for Boris Johnson, or I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting time uh, for the UK, that's for sure. Um, turning our attention to other headlines, what else has caught your eye shining this morning? Japan. Let's talk about Japan because their Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, is considering attending a summit of leaders from, not, from NATO. Apparently, he's thinking of joining this, and this is reported in the Singapore Straits Times. Mm. Now, Japan, I'm like... Japan is as far away from the NATO base as I can think of. It's on the other side side of the world to them, right? <laughs> it would be a bit of an odd uh, an odd assess- a membership, no? I mean, East Asia, North Atlantic, kind of far away, no? Well, that's because NATO has invited Japan to their summit, uh, along with Australia, New Zealand and South Korea as its partners. Now, they see them, see them as partners in the Asia-Pacific region. Why is uh, Japan feeling the need, but of course this is a soft story, to join NATO? I think a lot of it has to do, of course, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and question marks about whether we're going to see a new era of the Cold War. And Japan, of course, in the past has pursued a very, um, what is their word? Mm, They're not allowed to help. They're they're not very military country. Yeah, no, they not don't, at they all, don't have right? According own. to their constitution, especially after World War II. Mm. So maybe they feel they need the, the, the protective arm of NATO. 
interesting stuff. That's a development to keep an eye on and, and how that works. I know that uh, there would be other superpowers in this region who will not take that issue no, very not kindly. At all. And very quickly, Singapore has unveiled its first digital bank. And this is, of course, uh, billionaire Jack Ma's N Group. Uh, the bank is called Anex. I'm not sure whether I got that right. It will provide digital financial services to micro, small and medium-sized enterprising. Uh, this was a statement they released on Monday. Now, I'm going to be curious what kind of services they're going to roll out and whether it's really going to start eating into the market share of the incumbent banks there in Singapore, which is, of course, DBS, OCBC and UOB, and whether this is a precursor of what's to expect in Malaysia when the our digital, digital banks actually roll out too. Very fertile stuff in the digital banking space. 6.46 in the morning. We're heading into some messages and when we come back, we'll take a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. That was New Order with Ceremony. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Shaoning. It's 6.51 on Tuesday, the 7th of June. Just a slight correction to a headline that we were announcing earlier regarding Japan joining NATO. It wasn't as monumental as a membership. Sorry, my bad. That was so bad. It's it the was NATO summit. They my were bad. invited to the party, but they're not <laughs> joining the coalition per se. Sorry, balloon, balloon. But it is of a significant um, development in the sense that if Japan officially attends the NATO summit, I mean, I think that does send signals to other superpowers in the region, something to keep an eye on. But we are now looking at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. I have the Straits Times in front of me. They have a photo of Roti Chanai. Xiaoning, are you hungry for breakfast yet? Did you miss Roti Chanai during your time away? It's not my favourite thing to eat. Oh, okay. Well, it's more expensive. I know, I'm very, yeah, I heard it's, <laughs> it's too ringgit now in some places. It is definitely increasing and this is um, quite uh, natural given the rise in commodities prices. Of course, Roti China is made of wheat flour. Yeah, thanks to the invasion of Ukraine, yes, that is one grain that has really gone up in price. In fact, we don't suffer as badly as some of the East African and Middle East countries which are very dependent on uh, Ukraine wheat supplies, which are currently all stuck there because uh, Russia has taken over all the pots. Yep, but uh, food prices, as you said, as you witnessed over in Europe, and as we are seeing here, food prices are definitely under strain, um, impacting the cost of living living of a lot of lives. Uh, What else has caught your eye, Shawnee? What's caught your attention? Well, it's something we were talking about during the break, right? And that is uh, Tunku Zafro, who is, of course, our finance minister. He has adopted the Kuala Selangor district. And I think, I do believe he announced a new transportation hub there. Not hub, like a station, right? I found this a very curious announcement because the headlines say that um, the finance minister uh, said that the Ministry of Finance is adopting, and I'm using adopting in inverted commas because that's how it's been reported. Shouldn't the Ministry of Finance adopt every single constituency, every single state, every single town, every single city That's in right. Malaysia? They oversee every the, the whole country. So to say that they're focusing on one district is, uh, to me, it's very odd. Yeah, is it just misreporting? Who knows? Right. And mm-hmm. the announcement of the um, potential ECRL hub there as well is um, interesting. Um, and yeah, many people are wondering, well, I'm wondering as well, whether this is just the precursor to his announcement um, to run in GE15. Perhaps all speculation, of course, uh, no confirmed <laughs> no confirmed notices there. But this just seems to be part of the usual um, what song and dance before, uh, yeah. an, before announcement that someone will be running. Yeah, because normally when it comes to transportation issues, right, shouldn't it be announced by the Ministry of Transport? But anyway, uh, if we look at Kuala Langat, it's of of course, uh, a federal constituency, 
MP 112, and currently the MP is Saviour Jayakumar, who used to belong to the opposition, but who is now an independent member of parliament. So maybe that's, that's kind of like, hmm, makes a little bit of sense as to could he be running in this constituency? Perhaps. Um, DAP has called out the uh, finance minister for these announcements, saying that, um, it, it, you know, I think uh, Anthony Locke, uh, president of DAP or secretary general of DAP, has commented that this isn't really what the finance minister should be doing at the moment. Um, mm. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see whether anything comes out of this um, and whether, you know, whether what happens, what happens in political landscape as a result. Yeah. The other news that has caught my eye is that yesterday, actually, there was a bit of a, a demonstration uh, by military veterans who actually about 1,500 of them held a peaceful demonstration at the National Monument in KL, claiming that their complaints had fallen on deaf ears. Malaysia Kini reported this and it's actually got to do with the pension rate that they've been receiving for the pre-2013 pensioners and those who had served uh, the armed forces for fewer than 21 years. Apparently, they have requested, of course, more pension payments and that has not been, uh, that has been ignored. It's not just them, actually. I feel like judges also have quite a long-standing um, grievance against the government over pensions. It's I, I feel that um, the issue of pensions is most certainly also coming under the spotlight because of the high cost of living that everyone's experiencing at the moment. And um, these are questions that the government will have to deal with mm. um, as inflation rises and as uh, people are really feeling the pinch. Yeah, but also when we look at it from a budget perspective, right? Emollients, uh, emolens, emolens, if I got the right name, I'm not even sure, but basically the fixed cost of the government is extremely high and a lot of that has to do with salaries pensions so i think mm-hmm. there's a bit of a push and pull when it comes to this you know what what can we do it's going to be a structural issue that the government has to face all right 6 56 in the morning we're heading into some messages and then after that it's the 7 a.m news bulletin we'll check out how global markets closed overnight taking you to the news is aliata haynes jeremiah with lakeshore drive bfm 89.9 thank you for listening to this podcast To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.